Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Lose? I don't lose! I win! I win! I'm a lawyer! That's my job! That's what I do! Well, Bill Graham knows there's a lot more we can do together. I can't do it. You can't do it alone. But together, we can do it. So yesterday, with all that's going on, we convinced Bill Graham to stay with us a bonus segment. Uh Uh-huh. And then he and I were texting last night, and he says, well, if you'd like me to come in studio at some point and take calls and answer questions, I'd be glad to do that. To which my response was, how about tomorrow? And look at this. Bill Graham is in studio from the law offices of Wallace and Graham, one of our longtime favorites here, our legal analyst and uh, just all-around good guy. It's good to have you in the room. Glad to be here. Cartoon uh, characters and all. Yeah. I, I told <laughs> Beth, I said, I wonder if he's been listening on the way in. Oh, yeah. And he walked in and verified that he had, in fact, been listening. Yeah. Bill Graham took a U-turn and is headed back. <laughs> um, well. I, I just didn't know how Zoki got onto cartoon characters and milk and... So then we were talking about off the air that it's melatonin in the milk that exacerbates that. And it's activated by the heat. I believe so, yes. And I should have asked you, did you learn that as well on on, on cartoons like Jim did? Uh, Probably not the cartoons that Jim watches. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, um, it happened yesterday. Uh, Yes, it did. Most people who have been watching the trial in recent weeks... Uh, have said that they expected this based on recent developments, although if you went back to the beginning of this trial, a lot of people would say they did not think yesterday would happen. And what I mean by that is Alec Murdoch took the stand yesterday in his own defense. Uh, And I want to play a a few clips here and get your general reaction to what you saw. And then we're going to open up the phones, uh, 704-570-1110. So if you have questions for Bill Graham about something you watched yesterday, anything, I mean, you know, what he he said, uh, what he was asked, what you saw with people watching in the courtroom. Objections. Yeah. I mean, judge. Doesn't matter. Anything is fair game. I think the first appropriate clip to play here happened early in the testimony yesterday. Did you shoot a 300 blackout into her head, causing her death? Mr. Griffin, I didn't shoot my wife or my son any time. So that was him denying that he uh, committed these acts. Now, the other part of this that really got people talking yesterday was Alec Murdoch admitting to lying about various things that happened in the case uh, in this particular clip uh, about being at the murder scene on the night that this happened. You, in fact, at the kennels at 8.44 p.m. on the night Maggie and Paul were murdered. I was. Did you lie to Sled Agent Owen and Deputy Laura Rutland on the night of June 7th and told them that you stayed at the house after dinner? I did lie to them. Alec, why did you lie? As my addiction evolved over time, I would get in these situations or circumstances where I would get paranoid thinking. I had a deputy sheriff taking gunshot tests from my hands. I'm sitting in a police car with David Owen asking me about my relationship with my wife and my son. And all those things coupled together after finding them, coupled with my distrust for SLED, 
caused me to have paranoid thoughts. I wasn't thinking clearly. And I lied about being down there. And I'm so sorry that I did. Okay, so wow. there, uh, and there's more, uh, but I, w- I just want to start there. Um, your thoughts uh, as you watched his testimony yesterday. Yeah, so yesterday we talked about him, his testimony, and there were holes in the defense's case. He had to fill that hole with something, and what he filled it with was, I lied. I told a lie, and I told it to SLED because I distrusted them. Now, why he distrusted them, I think, is a question that I have. I think a lot of people have. Why did he distrust SLED, uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division? And the, the other thing is that pops into my mind as a prosecutor, and I think this will be cleaned up today if, uh, if the prosecutor's on his A game from yesterday's performance, is, uh, okay, you lied. Now, tell the jury, tell this court, what happened after? Where'd you go? What'd you do? What'd you see? Who was there? Did you hear anything? Did you hear nothing? If you if you say somebody else made the, the, you know, committed these murders, did you sleep through it? Were you in the house? How long did it take you to get there? Did you get in your car? What'd you do? So you got to go through that to because that's in the minds of the jurors now. Okay, this guy lied. Now what? Because it throws a he had to fill that hole though. Mm-hmm. You see. So his lawyers knew he's going to have to admit that he lied to SLED and, and, and left the lie there for a long time, months, where he could have come back and said, you know, uh, I'm clean now, I'm sober now, I'm whatever now, and now I want to, I, I, I need to clean up something that was in the investigation. He never volunteered that. Mm-hmm. That hurt. That hurts. Don't wait to the day of trial to do that. If his lawyers knew that he told a lie, he should have gone to the investigators. Look, my guy's got, we need to go back on the record, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get a court reporter in here and let's get this down and turn the video on and let's get it on the record. Isn't that hugely problematic Absolutely. for the defense? I mean, not only that he lied, but the continuation of the lie doesn't that in some way point to the fact that he didn't care that his son was dead and that his wife was dead and that they weren't going to, he wasn't giving them all of the information they could use or could need to, to solve the murder if it wasn't him? That, they, that he just left this huge gaping gray hole. Yeah, so either one of two things is true. Either his lawyers believed him, which I don't believe they do, or... Uh, he thought, well, I'm just going to play this string out, and I'm going to see if I get away with it. Which is kind of his M.O., right? He's playing this string out and getting if, away if, with it. If you if you look at the prior acts of what he had been doing with his clients and the money, he had gotten away with it mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, some of this stuff goes back 10 years or more. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, 
I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. WPT. I know, I know. You're thinking Bo's finally lost it. He's playing Mick Mulvaney's theme on Friday. But no. No, this is actually brilliant cross-promotion right here. Mm-hmm. On the WBT hotline is the guy who will be in studio with us, as he always is on Monday from 9 to 10, former White House Chief of Staff and South Carolina Congressman, White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney, who is listening to the show and has a question for Bill Graham. So, Mick Mulvaney, welcome on a Friday. Yeah, Bo, Beth, good morning. I hope you can hear me. Uh, Bill, thanks for doing this. Uh, hey, yeah, Congressman, how are you? I called, him, I called him during the break, and the question is this. I followed this for a long time. I used to practice law, though not in South Carolina. I never did criminal, but this is a sort of a local story going all the way back to the girl that got killed uh, in the boat accident. Yep. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. What's the motive for the murder? I don't buy this idea that it was done to distract from his financial crimes. I'm not sure how murdering your wife and your son distracts from other crimes. And I'm not sure the prosecution has made a case yet. I've not heard anything about insurance policies on the wife. And I'm just not sure the jury, if I'm on the jury, I'm wondering, okay, I get all this. I understand the lies. I got the forensic evidence. But why would he kill his wife? And does the prosecution have to make a strong case for that in order to get a conviction? I'll, I'll answer your second question first. Uh, no, um, I don't think they have to prove motive to get a conviction. Uh, why did he do it? Um, you know, why did he take the client's money? Why did he uh, set up the fake, um, you know, murder? You know, shooting, having somebody shoot him in the head beside the road. That made no sense. Um, I, I can't answer you at this stage of the game. I don't know that that anyone knows. And I think a lot of people have the same question that you have. Why, why go through all this? Why, why do that? Uh, what, what do you get out of it? Um, I'm not sure I know myself. And I think everyone else has got the same question. Um, why murder your, your, your wife and your son? Well, here there are a couple of, um, you know, there's so much information that's coming out now. There are a few documentaries that have popped up, one on Netflix that just hit this week that um, claimed, and this this could play, Mick, and this is to uh, an idea of motive. There are claims and reports saying that his wife had um, looked into filing for a divorce because she had found out that he wasn't paying all of the bills in the way that he should. And then there's the second um, part of the that week that the murder happened on June 7th, I believe on June 10th. Was the first hearing for the venue of the trial for Paul. And in that venue hearing, a financial statement from um, from Murdoch reportedly was supposed to come out. And he even mentioned on the stand yesterday that he had written, handwritten out everything that was supposed to be typed up by an assistant who wasn't his. So could they use all of that as motive, the, the divorce and financial crimes, and that he didn't actually want to appear in court with that financial statement on the 10th and without the son, then that wouldn't exist, that, that court hearing wouldn't happen. Is that potential? No, but I think a lot of that evidence um, would eventually come into a hearing at some point in, the, in what, what is now the future. 
um, that evidence would have come in. So eliminating his son and his wife would not have uh, foreclosed that evidence that coming evidence. in. Yeah. Eventually, that would have all come into come into evidence, either through deposition or subpoena of documents. Um, so th that door stays open. He doesn't close that door by murdering his son and his Does wife. He buy himself time. Maybe, but time to do what? It, it, it's just a kicking the can down the road. Um, so to go back to the congressman's question, I can't answer that right now. But um, I think the the, the answer w may may reveal itself, uh, you know, here pretty soon. Mick, did oh, we... real quickly, one last one last thing. Then I'll go. And thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. The, the, so, uh, Bill, do you think the defense, that's one of the things the defense is going to be harping on, is to try to create the doubt in the jury as to the lack of motive, if there is a lack of motive? A a absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Don't you think Harpulian's going to say, he's going to stand up in the closing argument, he's going to say, look, they put my guy at the scene, they found no blood on him, they, they have no weapon, they have no, they had nothing. They had two dead bodies, uh, tragically. And they have no motive. They can't so they can't explain to this jury or anybody in this courtroom or anybody out here in the public why this guy wanted to do kill his son and his daughter that he loved so much. So you got to ask yourself in your heart. You got to look in your heart and you got to say, do we believe this fella did this horrific thing? Now he said he lied. Okay, he was honest and truthful here in the courtroom. Um, but um, the jury's going to have a a lot to chew on. Bo, Beth, thanks very much, Bill. I appreciate it. You have a good weekend. Mick Mulvaney listening to the show here with Bill Graham, and Mick will be in studio with us uh, 9 to 10 on Monday. Uh, some of the most dramatic testimony uh, that we heard from uh, yesterday uh, regarding Alec Murdoch was this right here. We were just talking about the crime scene. This is what he said uh, as he walked up. I know I tried to turn him over. When you say you tried to turn him over, what, why were you trying to turn him over? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I tried to turn him over. Me and my boys laid face down. <laughs> he's doing the way he's doing. His head was the way his head was. I could see his, could see his brain laying on the sidewalk. I didn't know what to do. A lot of people were uh, taken aback by that part. Uh, there's also, uh, as he got into uh, talking about, uh, I mean, we mentioned the, uh, John Moore, I'm on the fly here, number five, we talked about the finances and the disclosure yesterday about um, the the things that he was not being truthful about. This is where he's talking about uh, and admitting to uh, stealing money from his own law firm. Did you do that? I did. Did you steal um, or divert that Ferris fee away from the law firm? I did. How did you get in such a financial predicament that led you to steal money that wasn't yours? You know, I'm not quite sure how I let myself get where I got, but it came from battled that addiction for so many years. I was spending so much money on pills. So you're hearing these stories of this horrific scene that he's reacting to, and, and all the while you're also hearing in the same testimony about things that he wasn't truthful about. So if you're a, if you're a juror, how do you trust? How do you way? process this? Yeah, you, at the end of the day, the jury's got to retire to the jury room, and they've got to say, do I believe anything this guy says? 
Now, I want to point out something that Beth and I were talking about off the air and the cross-exam. And at the end of the day, yesterday, which is going to pick up today, mm -hmm. is the prosecutor beating on him and beating on him and beating on him about, um, did you ever look any of your clients in the eye and tell them that this was, you know, this was a settlement statement and this was the money and this is what you're going to get and you lied to them. You looked them right in the eye and you lied to them. And, and he would always, and Murdoch would always come back and say, well, I don't dispute, you know, anything you say. And that was his response. Mm -hmm. and, and then the prosecutor got kind of ticked off and says, did you, did you practice that response? Is that, you know, you've mm -hmm. been back then. Hold that thought because I want to get back around to some of the body language yesterday. Yeah. And some of the man, Beth and I were texting back and but forth wanna, watching this. I want to tell you why he's doing that. WBT. Welcome back, Bo Thompson, Beth Troutman, and in studio, the one and only Bill Graham from the law offices of Wallace and Graham. And we're taking stock, making sense of day one of Alec Murdoch on the stand yesterday. It will continue uh, about an hour from right now. He'll be back uh, taking questions again. Uh, here, here's another moment from yesterday. You continued lying after that night, did you not? Well, once I lied, I continued to lie, yes, sir. Why? You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave. But once I told a lie, I mean, I told my family, I, I had to keep lying. So, Bill, um, I want to talk about uh, what you hear and also what you see, because it's one thing we hear the testimony and you heard it right there. But if you're watching it on television, you know, you see uh, mannerisms and you, you see what some people in the, in the audience uh, are are. You know, how, how they are reacting, reacting. And, and also the dynamic of, uh, well, two things. First of all, uh, the uh, the questioner not being used to being in that situation. And then Alec Murdoch is, you know, an attorney himself. He that's a whole dynamic to this that makes it fascinating to me as well, mm -hmm. uh, because this is not his first rodeo in a courtroom. Right. So uh, help me. I guess the best way to ask this is, as you watched this yesterday, um, what are we seeing or what are you seeing that the, the layperson is not necessarily seeing? That the witness is talking too much and he's doing exactly what I told you all he was going to do when asked a question. He didn't just ask the, answer the question. He has to pontificate. He has to go. And, and even the prosecutor yesterday on cross-examination, you never do this as a witness. And as lawyers, he should have, well, you know, they might have a client that they can't control. But he volunteered and wanted to talk after the question was over mm -hmm. and even interrupted the prosecutor on cross-examination. Knock that off. What are you doing? Just ask, answer the question, okay? So, Beth's dying to know. Ask, go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> well, there are so many. Let's let's get to the one question that I'm dying to ask is about the prosecutor that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. In and you said this right before we went to break. As he was kind of hammering home this idea, did you look in the, them in the eye? Can you remember? Why can't you remember these conversations? These are people that you're saying you care about. Give me a specific example. And he was hammering that point home. And you have a theory as to why and no, I know, what, I, what's going to happen. I know why he's doing it. 
Why do you think he's – let me ask you. that. We'll do the Socratic method here just <laughs> All right. a second. I love the Socratic method. So here's what I think. So Beth I, is on the stand. So this is why I thought it was kind of genius because there's no upside. Because, one, if he's saying I can't remember, then he's saying I don't care enough about these clients who were injured severely. One was a, right. a quadriplegic because of the accident that he was uh, you know, representing him for, that you don't care enough about them as human beings to even have a conversation and look them in the eye or you don't care enough about them to remember, A, that makes him a monster. B, if he says, yes, I remember the conversation, I did look them in the eye, I did lie to them, that makes him a monster too because both things aren't a good look. Either way, you don't care enough to remember them. B, you remember, but you don't care enough to care. Okay, that's the foundation for the conclusion. Okay, you've laid the foundation for the house. All right, so now you got to build on top of that. So the way you build on top of that is you're preparing for your closing argument. And the closing argument is, if you're the prosecutor, is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know what he just... So what he's trying to get him to do is say, yes, I looked them in the eye and I lied. Mm -hmm. That's what he's trying to get him to say. But he's not giving him that answer. That's why he's frustrated. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if I did, if I was a judge, I would have said, Mr. Prosecutor, Mr. Solicitor, move on. He's not going to give you the answer you want. Let's 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 keep on going. We're not going to just sit here and go hungry. So what he's trying to do is get him to answer the way he wants him to answer, and then tell the jury at closing arguments, you know what? You remember when he testified that he looked those people in the eye and stole their money and lied to them. He. St- Stealing now, and he's lying to you now. He's doing the same thing he did for the last 10 years, and he's doing it in this courtroom. He's lying to you. He's lying to me. He's lying to his lawyers. He lied to SLED. He lied to the judge. He lied to everybody. He's not to be trusted. And don't you trust him now? He did this murder. That's what he's trying to do. It's mm-hmm. a closing argument dynamic. So he's laying the foundation for his closing argument. And then back to Mick's question. So in that closing argument, when he's saying he lied to you, he lied to me, he's lied. And you know, Mick Mulvaney, when he called in last last um, last segment, he, the, the, he, the prosecutor doesn't have to say this is why he did it. He just is. He just is this person. If the if the prosecutor can prove motive, he's allowed to put forward the evidence that he could. I think what he's going to do is say, you know, th- this person. Maybe he had a drug addiction. Maybe he used bad judgment. But in that bad judgment, he committed one after the other of financial crime. And the, the, the jig was up. And he had to do something to cover his tracks. Didn't say it made any sense. He wasn't thinking logically anyway. None of us that are thinking logically about this would have done what he did. But he did what he did. And the evidence showed that he did what he did. Now, I don't know if they're going to make that argument or not, but that's – I would consider making that. Good news. The jig is not up. We have one more segment here. I know. I want 100 more segments with Bill Graham. Can you just, like, ride home with me today and I can keep having the conversation? <laughs> uh, Bo and Beth here with Bill Graham from the Law Offices of Wallace and Graham. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Friday morning on WBT with Bo and Beth here on Good Morning BT. Charlotte's most beloved John Hancock takes us home next hour, as always on Friday. And uh, we have a special in-studio appearance by Bill Graham today. And, of course, uh, brought to us by the law offices of Wallace and Graham. Wallace and Graham over 35 years representing personal injury clients in North Carolina. Uh, we have like a checklist of items to get to uh, on our on our way out here. I mentioned before the break that I, I noticed something yesterday as I'm watching that once I sort of focused in on it, I couldn't not I couldn't see, it. see it. When Murdoch was, I mean, there was the, you know, the, the tears and the, uh, the, the graphic testimony, but if you're just watching body language, for so much of his testimony yesterday, he would nod as he was saying it. And nod over, and I texted Beth, and I said, "He, you noticed how much he nods. Uh, what's going on here? It almost looks like, again, you, you said earlier in the show, um, we're talking about uh, witnesses and, and, and what uh, examinations trying to uh, create the idea of or suggest in the, in, the, in the mind of a juror. But if you're watching that yesterday, the thought did cross my mind. It, it almost looks like the guy is, it seems like he's, he's saying something that's rehearsed, like something you'd say in front of a mirror. I'm just talking about body language, but I even thought to myself, the nodding, that is he trying to that, convince himself? Is he trying to convince himself? Or if I'm if I'm his attorney, I probably don't like that he's doing that. It's a, uh, a physical reaction to a discomforting situation. He finds himself in a situation where he's having to um, answer a question that he doesn't really want to answer. He's he's trying to make a response that he thinks is going to sell, and so he's he's pushing it. He's selling it. That's that's where the physicality comes in. I'm selling you. I'm selling you. I'm selling you. Are you buying what I'm selling you? Come, you you, you got to buy what I'm telling you because it's going to turn out right for me. Okay. But if so. you're a juror, can't can that backfire because it can look like sure. you're trying to sell yourself on sure, it? Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, jurors pick up on that. Jurors are smart people. Uh, every time you get into a complex case, whether it's a murder case or a civil case, the, the, the lawyers say, oh, God, the jury's never going to get all this complex stuff. They always get it. They always – you have to break it down. You have to get into the elements of your case, whether it's a civil or a criminal case. But in the end, the jurors typically get it right. Well, let's talk about the performance itself and yep. whether or not the jury is going to buy certain aspects of his testimony. There were terms that he used of a, terms of affection for his son, for his wife, for his friends that we have never heard in any of the, the videos of his um, – interviews, any of the, the the body camera footage, he started calling his son Paul Paul. Mm-hmm. He called his wife Maggie, Mags. He called his friend Roland, or he called him Roro. These are terms of endearment that we haven't heard. Is that part of the performance, and is that over the top? Is that going to backfire as well? I don't know if the, the jurors will put a lot in that. Um, you're in the uh, you know, the broadcast business. So you pick up on those kinds of things. I think the jurors, you know, somebody may mention may mention something about that. But, you know, if you look at the video clips of the interviews, he never says any never. of those kinds of 
of words. He never describes the people with those names. So this is somewhat in the trial drama uh, lingo bucket. And um, it, it, it may, I mean, maybe it's coming home to him what has happened. And maybe this is his way of dealing with it internally. Who, who knows? I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. We talk a lot about uh, uh, the jurors and, and the sequestering and what they deal with while they're going through this process. Uh, I have a question, though, about Murdoch himself, because yesterday he's on the stand and they take a break for lunch. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching uh, the coverage and then the break during the coverage, you know, what does he have access to? Uh, and, and what can he hear? I mean, Beth brought up Netflix earlier. Uh, yeah, you know, all the stuff that's going around this trial and as much hoopla and as much media coverage as it gets, you know, you, you try to have these happen in, in a bubble where people can hear the evidence, uh, whatever part of the trial you're part of, and be isolated from all the noise. But there's no way you avoid all this noise. Uh, does, does Alec Murdoch have access to a phone? Does he have access to uh, a TV screen anywhere when he goes and where, where, where he's held and, you know, during the trial and leading up to the trial and while it's happening? I, I, that may be a dumb question, but I think there are people who may not know the answer to it. Yeah, I think he has access to a television. I think he has access to a phone at some parts of the day to communicate uh, with um, his lawyers or whoever. Um, but uh, beyond that, no. But can Alec Murdoch access Twitter and see what people are saying about his performance that he just got off for the break? I, unless someone is telling him what right. is on Twitter, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, God bless the judge. I don't know how you keep all of that, yeah. you know, confined. Uh, but um, it, this is um, it, there's drama like on top of drama on this case. And I think he's managing it very well. Mm -hmm. But what Murdoch himself has access to, uh, if, if I were his lawyers, I would say, don't read any of that stuff. Don't pay any attention to that stuff. It's going to get in your head and it will mess up your testimony. And, uh, and, and one of the callers earlier had said, you think the lawyers or the staff is looking at Netflix. Um, I would say no. It would get them off their game if, if they thought that they were going to buy some kind of writer's theory and interject it into the case at this point. That would be hazardous. Well, you, you, you hit it, though. I think maybe what I should have said is, I mean, I don't think any of us think that, that, that Murdoch, Alec Murdoch, is there, you know, on his phone watching. But, but can stuff get, get to him? Can it sure. get back to him? Sure, with, and, and And we all know how much coverage this thing is getting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to avoid it. And I know we've got to, we have to let you go, but I wanted mm. to really quickly, if you can break down um, – these financial crimes, as we were kind of getting into the weeds of the testimony of the financial crimes, mm -hmm. how exactly was he stealing this money on top of the funds that he was already getting from his clients from these settlements? Well, in the one case, what he did was he, he they appointed a conservator, which turned out to be a banker or, or some relationship to a banker, where then he, he deposited the settlement proceeds in some kind of a structured settlement. We can talk about that one day when... We've all had more sleep, but uh, uh, What's that? he didn't he didn't took that money and leveraged it as a loan back to himself. So just pulling it out of the account that was supposed to be in the conservatorship. He, his he buddy used was the, the client's money as an asset to then gain a loan. And and the, the bargain for the deal was he was going to pay the victims who, who were his clients an, an interest rate that they would not otherwise get. So that's why he stole the money from the other guy, so he could pay these kids off before they were 18. That's where that whole thing—and I'll explain that transaction when 
y'all are. When, <laughs> when we have you back on the next yeah, time you're able. Exactly. On Thursday <laughs> when we have you, we'll get this long question in. Now, something tells me we're going to talk to him before Thursday. <laughs> I uh, hope so. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah, we're yeah. about a half hour away from him returning to the stand. Uh, what's the biggest thing you're watching for today? The prosecutor's going to try to get that question answered the way he wants it answered, and he's not going to do it, and he's going to move on, and then uh, he'll he'll be off the stand uh, probably mid-afternoon. Oh, yeah? Because there's there's going to be a redirect, so uh, Harpootlian's side is going to have a chance to redirect, so they can clean up some of the things he's already said in cross examination. So yeah, it might go all day. So uh, going to be another uh, yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. day yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in Walterboro. Uh, this has been a fascinating hour. I can't thank you enough for coming in on short glad to notice. Do it. Happy uh, to be here. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great weekend, Bill Graham, Bo Thompson. Y'all be Beth. safe. Yes, sir. You too.